0: Hi and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast, I'm Crystal Fault, the editor of The Toolkit. Uh, today our guest is documentary filmmaker Nafu Wong, whose film, Hooligan Sparrow, just made one of the, uh, the list of uh, Best Documentary Feature Shortlist films. That means that uh, Hooligan Sparrow will be one of the 15 films uh, the Academy will be considering to be nominated uh, to be one of the five films to go for the Oscar this year. So. Uh, that is a huge deal for a small film like this. Uh, you're fighting with uh, some ESPNs, some HBOs, uh, some, uh, some Netflix. Uh, so I imagine right off the bat, for a film, and I want, obviously this film is really important, the attention for something like this and the awareness of a film, that's gotta be like a big deal for you guys, right?
1: Right, um, when the shortlist news came out, I was a pleasantly surprised. Um, since the film premiered at a Sundance, Uh, the past several months it has been getting amazing response and people have been telling me that how much they love the film but still it's a true independent film we didn't have much resources. Mm the 300 DVDs that we submitted to the Academy, I hand wrapped them, packaged them in my apartment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um...
0: You mean to the, to the 300 people that are considering... Right, because we had that, to send out 300 DVDs. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: And then, because we didn't have a budget mm-hmm. after the film was released. And so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, so yeah, so we just did everything. In an independent style, but <laughs> it means a lot of commitment and also a lot of passion from people in the team. Everybody in the team was so passionate about the film. I, I think that's why the film um, was able to go this far. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and when the news came out initially, um, I got some response from China as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, we'll
0: talk about that. We'll, yeah. we'll get into that because I don't. The only reason I want to put a pause on that is because mm-hmm. I want people to know. This story a little bit first.
1: Right.
0: Who is Hooligan Sparrow?
1: Hooligan Sparrow is one of the most courageous mm-hmm. women in China. Mm-hmm. She has a very unique radical style of doing activism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for example, she would use her nude photos and put them on the internet, having um, messages about women's rights covering her private parts. And her idea was if um, people initially would be interested in seeing her nude photos, but mm-hmm. Um, after they see them over and over, they would get sick of her body and started paying attention to the signs that's covering her body.
0: And so, before you go to China and start filming with her, my, my sense is the way that the, the issue that she was addressing specifically was sex workers and sex workers' rights. Um, and, right, that's what that, your film, she's taking on new issues, but and that also seemed and that also tied into the social media campaign, right? What was specifically what she's doing? Because She was actually, she became a sex worker herself, right?
1: Right. Uh, one of the campaigns that she did was called Free Sex Campaign. Mm-hmm. And she went to some of the poorest brothels in the country, where sex workers are offering sex to migrant workers and charge two dollars mm-hmm. each sex service. And she volunteered to be a sex worker and worked there and ha- had clients and she posted on the internet saying that I'm offering sex for free only to migrant workers And her purpose was to expose the living conditions of the sex workers and the migrant workers And that people know that they are the victims of the society
0: In her campaign, and you kind of hinted at this, it, it, she seems to be a master of social media, right? And that seems to be like the like where, she, obviously with the nude photos, but like that seems to be really where she was like kind of gaining notoriety and making a um, an impression with her, her campaigns, right?
1: Right. Um, I think her style really attracted people. Um, her campaign immediately went viral, I think. Is part of the reason was because the sensation of that mm-hmm. a woman offering sex for free and nobody in China would do that. I mean, nobody else. And. Um, is so controversial as well people started debating whether what she did was um, Was something good or bad mm-hmm. and that's something that I didn't know until I met her because I only read everything through social media through the internet and I did not know what exactly she was doing and what kind of person she was
0: and you had said in the film you you had felt a connection with her that you guys were from, you had similar backgrounds, and, and my understanding is you, you grew up in, in China, and right before this film, you had come to New York to go to NYU, and right after NYU, you went and made this film, right? So if you could just speak a little bit about the fact that there was this, you felt this connection based on kind of your common roots, but then also how you actually met her and, and came to make the film.
1: Yeah, um, so when I decided to reach out to her, I did a lot of research about her background and surprisingly, we have very similar uh, background. We both uh, were born in a fa- like farmer's family in rural areas. My parents live in a small village where my family didn't have TV until I was a teenager and I have a younger brother. And she has two younger brothers. And when my father passed away uh, when I was 12 and he was 33, my mom said to me that we just couldn't afford you to continue going to school. Mm -hmm. And why don't you find a job and support the family, support your younger brother? Girls Girls do not need education anyways. So I started working when I was 16 and really become like the support of the family and she had a similar experience she started working right after middle school and in order to support her two younger brothers and she did all kinds of jobs waiter or factory girl working on construction site and i think my experience of working at a young age and coming from that kind of family really made me become empathetic towards people like me who live or who come from the bottom of the society and are usually powerless and voiceless so that's why initially i responded to the sex workers story because i felt i understood them i've seen women from my village who didn't have education went to work in the city didn't have skills ended up becoming sex workers mm-hmm. and when they came back to the village they were discriminated against So that's why initially I wanted to make that story.
0: How did you end up in NYU?
1: That's a long, long, long story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I started working when I was 16. I didn't go to high school, Mm -hmm. I didn't go to college. And in China you couldn't go to college without going to high school because the only way to go to college is through the national college entrance exam. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I started working and i would see my friends who during the vacation come back from the college or high school and it's been my dream like going back to school every day Uh, in china they have a system called self-taught exam what you can do is there is a list of books that you can read Mm -hmm. and then after you read all those books you can take an exam called a self-taught exam Mm -hmm. and if you pass it you will get a certificate like the equivalent of a bachelor degree or something so i spent three years um, reading all those books Mm -hmm. and i took the exam one by one and by the time i was 19 i passed all those self-taught exam and got the equivalent of a bachelor degree but nobody recognized the, the degree because it's just, it just doesn't have the value that people recognize. And in, in the
0: way in the States that were like, oh, you went to Harvard or you went to Penn State or you went to something like that, that it's not just the degree, it's, it's where you got it, type, is that what you right. mean? Right.
1: But that even, it was worse than that. It was like, I can't think if there is any program in the U.S. Mm. Um, Because in China, employers do not recognize that Mm -hmm. and people do not recognize it because simply because you didn't go to college, Mm -hmm. you were teaching yourself. Mm -hmm. So anyway, but luckily um, with that certificate, I was able to apply for graduate school. And
0: Cause, because, in a sense, you already had the, the yeah. BA, so yeah. you could apply directly to uh, Yeah, without
1: going to high school and college. So I applied to um, graduate school and took the graduate exam, and I got accepted with full scholarship to go to Shanghai University studying literature, English literature, and I wanted to become a writer. So when I graduated from Shanghai University and had the master's degree, I got a job. Um, working at Shanghai University but it was then I realized what I don't like to do in my (laughs) life uh, because I've seen how my colleague working in the university had been working there for 20 years and never changed anything they were still doing the things that they did 20 years ago so I made up my mind this is something I would not like to do in my life Mm -hmm. and then I started thinking what I want to do and I wanted to tell stories But I realized you cannot become a writer the day after you graduate. So I wanted to study journalism that I can write about the stories that would potentially make positive change to the society. Um, But I also was disappointed in the journalism in China. So then I started looking for opportunities um, in the US. I applied to about 15 universities and eventually, I got accepted to Ohio University mm-hmm. in the journalism school with full scholarship, which was also the reason that I could even come here. Mm-hmm. And it was in Ohio University where I saw first a documentary in my life. Because mm-hmm. in China, it was not accessible to people. There was no theaters that would show documentaries. TV usually shows documentaries that about food, landscapes, history, but nothing about current affairs and um, social issues. So when I started watching documentaries in the U.S. at Ohio University, I felt, oh, this is the thing that I've been looking for. It's so compelling, and it matches everything that I liked about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I wanted to do this, but I didn't know how to use a camera, I didn't know edit, I didn't know anything. So then I started thinking, how can I learn? And I almost felt like it's impossible because I was 26 and I felt the high school students in the U.S. N- know more than I did. Um, I was in graduate program, so I couldn't go to the practical classes. Um, but then I asked professors in like teaching freshmen, can I sit in your class? And I vividly remember the first class I sat in about video production 101 and the instructor said, now we're going to do an exercise. I want all of you raise your hand when you watch the video and see a cut on the screen. Mm -hmm. And everybody raised their hand every three seconds and I didn't know what was going on. I was like, what did I not see? What is a cut? (laughs) But that's basically how late that I started. And from there, I applied to NYU. They have a program called News and Documentary, Mm -hmm. um, which is more practical and where I learned editing, filming, and it was a one year and a half program. So six months before I graduated, I went back to China and started the film Hook Sparrow.
0: And so my sense is, on the timeline here, you're kind of at NYU 2011-2012-ish, and this is when Hogan Sparrow is campaign is kind of blowing up is that is that is that about right? Right. Okay, and so This instantly felt like a subject that you wanted to 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 do something with I imagine So did you just reach out to her? I mean did you when you went back to China? Had you already made contact with her? Had you already thought about
1: I went back to China in May? Mm -hmm. and I started contacting her in March. Mm-hmm. I think I sent her a few emails, I checked it down and got her phone number and called her and explained that i um, filmmaker, I wanted to make this mm-hmm. film. And she did not say yes. She said, come back to China and we'll meet and we can talk then.
0: Yeah. You can understand, watching your film, you can see why she might be a little... Yeah. <laughs> um, so. So it's like I guess this is like summer of twenty thirteen, right? Yeah. Because you spent you basically spent a summer with her, right? Yeah. Okay. And so at this time, right around the time that you start filming, there's there's some, there's a new issue, there's a new horrific incident that has kind of spurred her her a new protest campaign from her. It's um, it's this horrific thing. Uh, I guess what's ha- you'll you explain it, but there's people that rape children are hiding behind prostitution laws meaning oh i paid this girl and so therefore they're not subject to rape charges and and there was a a particular case in which six girls and it's all caught on security camera are lured to a hotel by i believe their principal right and he's going to hide behind these laws and so this becomes her new kind of woman's rights and, and goes to this place right and that that kind of Is that is that what was going on like right when you started to get in with her?
1: Yeah, exactly. I got back to China on May 13th and I tried to check down her for like a few days and I couldn't get a hold of her until I finally met her. I learned that she was planning a protest and since the day I arrived in China, the rape case was all over the news. It was national breaking news that six girls were raped by their principal. But what happened was in china that month there were 13 other cases like that and other sexual offenders got away by claiming that they paid their victims or they gave them gifts which allowed them to get away with a charge of prostituting and which is much lighter sentence than raping so uh, Yihayan Sparrow and some activists and lawyers decided they wanted to use this case um, as an opportunity to expose all the organized crime and also the loophole in the law mm-hmm. and hopefully to change the law. So they decided to go to the Hainan province where the case happened and stage a protest.
0: And these women are amazing. This, I mean, Julian uh, Sparrow is clearly the, the leader and the spirit of it, but the, these women in general um, they have this unstoppable spirit. They're kind of like a, a gang traveling from spot to spot. I mean, it's, 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 and they're standing up. And, and you know, Hooligan is, 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 is got a little bit, is, is got the social media campaign, is always doing things a little provocative. But there's also these lawyers there talking to the parents, provoking this. And, and they are also very wary of, how much they're in danger and they're documenting beforehand every single time, making it clear as if something could happen to them so that there is a record of what's going on. If I disappear, it wasn't by accident. If something happens to me and one gets the sense that you became part of this group of women and soon you're having to make these type of statements before you guys go out and do a protest, right?
1: Yeah. Um, protest is a taboo in China. Usually the protesters would be arrested. And in the past, what happened, which is more scary than the rest, was they simply disappeared. Then a few days or a few weeks later, they would be found dead. And the government would issue an announcement saying, oh, that person committed suicide. Mm-hmm. So in order to protect themselves, the lawyers and protesters, they now started doing a video statement prior to the protest. So they were doing that
0: before you brought in your nice camera and involved in this, right? They were already doing something a bit like that. Yeah.
1: So when I was there, they decided to do this and they saw that I have a camera. Usually they would do this on their phone, Mm -hmm. like looking at the camera and saying, I'm not going to commit suicide if I'm found dead. It's definitely the government. So they saw I have a camera they asked if I can help them making this statement. And I said sure, so I did. And when I expressed that I wanted to go to the protest with them, they asked me to do one too. And I almost felt that it was funny and a little bit too exaggerated because I didn't think that it would be so dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turned out it's not a joke and it's real. And. I,
0: I want to take a step back here because this is, I think, one of the more interesting uh, when we we think about how you put this together. Um, You made a a choice, and the first five minutes is, in the way that we're introducing this, Um, this is about you filming. This is about, before we even meet Hulacan Sparrow, we go through what you had to go through with the government um, and how... In kind of framing this in this idea that even filming and even making this is is a danger. Now, obviously that did happen, but when you're putting together a documentary, you know you always have those choices of how am I going to be and how I, and 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 I'm wondering at what point that became a decision in terms of how you were going to tell the story.
1: It was when I came back and I started editing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When I was filming, I didn't think that I would be in the film. Um, but when I came back and I, before I started editing, I kind of um, wrote down what happened during those three months I was in China. And then there is a storyline about how Sparrow went to the protest and what happened to her afterwards. There is another storyline about the rape case and what happened to the victims and his, their families. And then there is a, the lawyer who tried to defend the cases. And then there is media, how media was suppressing and spinning all the stories. Mm -hmm. But then eventually when I was writing down and what happened to me, a week later, my family got got a visit from the national security agents. And a few weeks later, my friends were interrogated. And then eventually myself were interrogated by the national security agents. And I realized that the story is so, much bigger than just a rape case or just a sparrow herself. It's a story about how far the government would go to silence anybody who is connected to human rights or even try to tell the story. And my part is is an example to show how massive the surveillance is. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized mm-hmm. that I needed to be in the story and, and I wanted people to Experience what I had experienced and to see what I had witnessed. So that's the decision behind Putting myself in there telling the story from my perspective, perspective as well.
0: You know, it's fine when I was watching the film initially, I I, I was a little what are we doing here and But once it started and I, I would go even a step further I don't mean to tell you about your film, but Embodied in all of your footage is how dangerous filming is. Um, the, the quality of what you and these women went through is kind of built into the formal elements of the filming. I mean, you are often in danger. There's even a kind of detective spy novel type thing where, here where you can even get this like paranoia About who is that guy who is watching who is taking pictures of me and some of these people are reappearing and it's just it's kind of baked into all of this how dangerous filming is which I think as an audience um, kind of charges and gives us this uh, kind of feeling of what it's like being with this group and what they're experiencing so it I know a lot of documentary filmmakers probably would would say, "Oh, you, I'm not going to be part of this." But it, it ultimately is vital because it gives, it charges your footage, it charges your movie, and gives it it gives it all this momentum. Is that is that kind of also what it was? Is it like looking at what you had?
1: Yeah, I think one of my experiences is um, because I didn't know any of the things prior to making this film. And so when I was on the streets, when there were secret police, at first I didn't know they were, and I couldn't identify who were. So there were a lot of moments later, the lawyers and activists will point out to me, did you notice that guy? He was taking picture. Did you notice that guy? Uh, he was talking to the police and they giving the police orders. And I felt like I was constantly discovering things, and even during the process of the editing, I would watch footage over and over, and all of a sudden I would realize, hey, that guy who, who was at the background of the detention center actually showed up another day at an, another location. But when I was filming, I was so focused, and I didn't notice that there was a background guy there. So all those process is, Fascinating to me that I how I still was discovering even when I was about to finish the film mm-hmm. So I wanted the audience to feel that to have the same experience as well
0: mm-hmm. And you're talking about and I'm glad you said this ahead of time about you know wanting to be able to make a difference wanting to be able to and it, It's some it's a conversation that we're suddenly having in this country the documentary filmmakers of um, uh, due to current events of of how how can they make a difference? Not just make films about interesting things and important topics, but also have something that has an impact. And it's a, it's a I mean the conversation there was like five things in New York this week uh, where they were talking about that. The thing when I was watching Hooligan Sparrow again because I, I hadn't seen it since last Sundance was that one of the things about your film is. Even one gets the sense that these men and this government and the police are acting with impunity, and you can even see this in the times that they're captured. A couple of times it's in audio, a couple of times it's in cell phone video. Sometimes it's it, it it's with your with your camera, uh, which you seem to have been very nervous about right from the start. That one realizes that you're just a one woman camera thing here, and you can't lose your camera. You did lose your your spy glasses, but. Um, that even just the act of this is now filmed, this is now not something that you can just do with impunity and this is just being put out there, seems to in and of itself be so important and kind of move the needle in terms of change. Is that, is?
1: Yeah, um, in terms of like making change, I think making this film had made me realize that actually like about change is different steps. And I had gone through a lot of um, steps thinking about how I can make change. For example, when I was there, I thought it's so hopeless because nothing is, we are so powerless. We couldn't change much. I asked the lawyer when she sued the government, why did you still do it? even though that you know you're going to lose the suit and she's in jail now Yeah, she's in jail and what she said is well if we don't do this then we we are allowing them to detain the citizens um, that's that will make the situation even worse and by suing them you were making them to realize that when you detain a citizen, there is consequence, there is a cost. You have to appear at the court. You have to respond to it. And for me, it's the same when the film first was released this earlier this year. Mm-hmm. I was hoping that it would have immediate, concrete change. The lawyer in the film will be released. I hoped so. But then it didn't happen, even though there was a lot of international pressure and exposure. She's still in jail. And then I became disappointed. Documentary can make change, but why it didn't happen? But then as you showed more and more at more and more places, then I realized as people came to me and told me that how the film would change their perception, how now they will see the world differently. Mm -hmm. And there were also some Chinese students who studied in the US and saw the film and told me that they had never known that before and now it completely changed their life mm-hmm. and worldview. and that's when I realized the change the first step is the wellness and if enough people become aware of the mm-hmm. issue that's when the change really start to happen and I think even though that the Victory is not in near sight, but it's still hopeful if enough people stand up and resist it. otherwise, if you are indifferent or silent, you are just a strength and the authority
0: right. well i don't want to talk too much more, but what, you know essentially what would ha- what happens in the film is it becomes almost this road trip as you as this group as you and hooligan have to move throughout the country and She also has a daughter, which makes it that much, you know, watching her daughter have to go through all of this. Um, And it it becomes, at that point, it really becomes this powerful narrative of this woman moving forward. Um, But one senses that uh, what has happened in the last week with you being shortlisted, and I believe you won an award last weekend. What did you win?
1: Um... It was the Emerging Filmmaker Award from the International Documentary Association. Oh, the IDA. Yeah.
0: Oh, they're great. They're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, they have good taste. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But they um, no, they yeah. actually do. Like, trust Literally. me. A lot of these <laughs> no, but a lot of these doc awards. It's like, oh yeah, no. But uh, Cinema I and IDA, those are uh, those are top notch. Um, b- but my sense was that there has been some backlash because. When you do get shortlisted, when you start winning some of these end of the year awards, uh, it becomes a higher profile. I I know this happened with uh, Joshua Oppenheimer's film that you know things had to. Some of the reaction that was coming was when it got nominated for an Oscar or something like that. So, what what's happened in the last week or so?
1: So, when the shortlist news was announced, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, there were a few uh, Chinese articles, media outlets reported the news.
0: Just in the sense that a Chinese-made documentary a documentary made, made in China right. is been for an Oscar, that type right. of write-up.
1: Right. And initially, almost like a day after or a few hours after, they would delete it. And one um, publication, they actually had usually, they were allowed to report more sensitive issues than others.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And they were told to take and down that to take down that article as well. Mm -hmm. And the main character, Sparrow, she has a huge followers on her social media, and she wrote an article um, about the shortlist Mm -hmm. uh, as well, and it was deleted. And so it was then I realized, okay, they are responding to it. How
0: does her stuff get deleted? Maybe I'm just naive about this. She's doing, Instagram's her big, Thing,
1: really. So in China we don't have Google, Facebook, right. Twitter, anything like that, mm-hmm. but we have Chinese version of all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, right now like WeChat is the most popular mm-hmm. um, among the other social media, but the government had the power to, right. okay. to decide which gets po- posted and they can control which to
0: delete as well. And my sense was there was also some harassment, hooligan's been harassed, I mean, it's worth noting for people that haven't seen the film, her being harassed isn't, that seems to be the story of her life over the last few years, but it seems, there seems to have been some increased harassment since.
1: Yeah, she was visited by the police three times since the news was announced. Uh-huh. And uh, usually the police would go, but that's really, really common. I think her situation is almost like uh, under residential surveillance. Mm-hmm. She would be visited by the, by the police every other day, and her passport was confiscated that she couldn't travel, uh, she couldn't leave China. Mm-hmm. Even when she travels within China, the police would question her, where are you going, what are you going to do, and really monitoring her closely.
0: And yeah. you, you stay in touch with her?
1: Yeah. I, we talk regularly. And when, the, when I learned that the film was shortlisted, she was one of the first people, like, besides our team, that I told.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and my family too. Um, my family was visited by the national security agents, the same ones who interrogated me in the film. Mm-hmm. And they went to my family and uh, told them to warn me not to say anything negative in the media, in mm-hmm. interviews and they said that they are monitoring what I say in media. They have people collecting mm-hmm. information, like all the interviews that I've done, and they showed some of them to my family. Among the interviews, uh, in some of them, I said how they interrogated my family. Mm-hmm. So the national security agents this time told my family, tell her she cannot tell the media that we came again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Does, obviously you're, this isn't a private chat, this is going up on iTunes, obviously this isn't silencing you, but does that give you pause with your family there? Just to to be telling these, to, to be talking about these things?
1: I thought about that really hard the first few days when my family told this, because I knew that their lives are affected by what I do and what I say. And it's my family, the pressure is not only coming from the authority now, it's also my family telling me, don't do this. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And I debated and I thought, if from now on I don't say anything, then I'm telling the government that their tactics are very effective Mm -hmm. and they can continue harassing people, intimidating them if they don't want them to say anything. And that's not gonna help change anything. It's just really gonna encourage them to be more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm hoping by speaking out, it will actually deter them from doing more harassment or anything more extreme, because I think the world should know. And if enough people are paying attention, then I think it's harder for them to continue
0: doing what they do. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're a very brave woman, very brave. One last thing before I let you go. You edited this all yourself? I
1: edited myself. Um, part of the reason is really it's just a one-woman band. There was no resources to hire anybody. I was still a student when I was started editing, but I also have a great team that really, I think, helped put the film together. Um, I have consultants, I have a creative team that, you know how editing is a process of trial and errors and of struggles that at a certain point you just lose the perspective
0: and. Well it's a very, it's, a, it's not the easiest narrative to piece together and you do it in a very seamless way. Um, and it's not that you're not a but for someone that has just started uh, where you are uh, The idea that you were able to put This type of feature together and post is exceedingly impressive. I, I just like usually that type of Editing skill comes from, you know striking out nine times first. So that's that's amazing. That's amazing and we should add uh, uh, Nathan Halpern who does all the music for this podcast um, and I will admit is a, is a dear friend uh, is did did, I and mean Chris did the music for this, right? Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's lovely, it's very subtle. Yeah. They found a way of kind of um, getting a little bit of um, that danger, that's a, but, but not in that like forcing it over way, which kind of like fits what we were talking about with the footage, right? Yeah.
1: yeah. It was a really pleasant experience working with Nathan. We talked about um, what emotions, he specifically asked me, how did you feel when you were there filming that scene? And so instead of talking in music language, which I'm not good at, uh, he was asking how I feel, what are the words that I can describe my emotions? And then he can work with the emotions and to bring out um, what you probably don't see on the visual, on the surface, but it's like deep uh, in my heart.
0: Well, congratulations on this film. I'm, I'm really rooting for it and um, everybody should really, I, I'm hoping uh, what you do when you turn off this podcast, you're gonna go flip on Netflix and see it. Thank you so much. Thank you.
2: Thank you.